Hello, and welcome to Meditations from Middle Earth. My name is Strider, and I'm a Christian worker here in where I call Middle Earth. We love to meditate on God's Word, and He's given us so many unique and rich experiences here in Middle Earth, and I'd like to share those insights with you here on Meditations from Middle Earth. As I get started here with my very first podcast, I wanted to teach a real basic truth and one that is foundational to so much of the things that I teach, the things that I meditate about, the way that I think about God and man and this world that God has created. As I think about these things, uh, I, I come at it with a worldview, if you will, and my worldview is going to be found right back in the book of Genesis. God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates all things, and once he's created them, he creates man in his own image, in his own likeness. And once man is created, he puts man into a garden, a beautiful place, the Garden of Eden, We have the four beautiful flowing rivers. You have fruit of every kind and trees and animals and all this cool stuff. And it's awesome and it's beautiful. And God says it's all good and wonderful. And it is. And then there's a real interesting phrase here. He's placed two trees in the garden. Now, what are these two trees? One is the tree of life. Cool. We like the tree of life. That sounds awesome. We eat from the tree of life and we get life. That's way better than not life. So we love the tree of life. That makes perfect sense. He's put a tree of life here. And then he put another tree in the garden and he called it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why would he do that? What's the purpose of this tree? Because he's placed it there and then told Adam and his wife Eve, don't eat from that tree. Whoa, why why would you put a tree with fruit there that we're not supposed to eat? What's the problem with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? In fact, it sounds it sounds good, doesn't it? We should know what is good and what is evil. This sounds like a good thing. God says no. We don't want you to eat from this tree. Okay. No eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't understand why not, but we don't eat from it. So Along comes Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Obviously not true. Wanting to qualify, wanting to bait the woman into a debate. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Well, we're told in Genesis chapter 2 that God said don't eat of it. This touch it lest you die also seems to be an exaggeration. So the serpent has exaggerated the truth here by saying can't eat of any trees and now the woman has exaggerated the truth by saying can't even touch it lest you die and then the servant serpent says something very interesting but the serpent said to the woman 
you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It seems like a reasonable thing to do, but the motivation seems to be really despicable. If you think about it, the motivation here is, I want to be like God. I have a position. God has made me, and he's made me very good. I want something else. It seems to be a little bit ungrateful, and it seems to be greedy and self-centered. Both the woman and, in fact, the man who's standing apparently right there make a decision that's going to change everything. It's going to cost them everything. And you and I know the end of the story that their eyes are opened. They know good from evil, and God curses them and casts them out of the garden. So it was a little bit of a, of a misdirection there as the servant saying, you're not surely going to die, and yet where's Adam and Eve today? Well, they're, they're dead. They died a long, long, long time ago, right? So they did die. Well, not the moment they touched the fruit, or did they? What happened when they touched the fruit? And why did God tell them not to eat of it in the first place? What's the deal? I can read this passage and I can see immediately that the motivation for eating the fruit is wrong. And let me just say that it's a firm belief of mine that our behavior is a heart issue. If you do the right things for the wrong reasons, it's not going to be counted as the right thing for you in the kingdom of God. What goes on in your heart matters to God. And what was going on in the heart of Eve, and we can only theorize probably the heart of Adam, since he was right there in eight also, was that they wanted to be like God. In other words, they wanted to usurp God's position, God's authority. He made the heavens and the earth. He was in charge. And they wanted to take that away from him. They wanted to become like gods themselves. So this is a selfish motivation. And now the question, can the tree give that to them? What's the problem with the fruit? What's the problem with knowledge about good and evil? I, I ought to know what is good and what is evil. How else could I decide what's right to do? Oh, oh, what did I just say? How else could I decide? Now everything is my decision. God is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. He's in fellowship with them. He's speaking to them. They're speaking to him in this beautiful creation, in this perfect environment. And now all of a sudden, it's no longer God's decision. It's no longer God's choice. Now Adam and Eve, they decide. Mankind decides whether or not to do good or to do evil. They will decide what is good and what is evil. And now we can see that the reason God told them not to eat from this tree is because its fruit is poison. Its fruit is deadly. Once they have taken this step 
to know what is good and what is evil, now we can see that they are, in fact, like gods. They are their own god. They are making their own choices. This is going to affect so much when we talk about what is love, what what is the basis of healthy human relationships, what are the basis of us coming to God and worshiping him, being followers of Jesus Christ. All of this is going to uh, be founded upon this concept that we chose to be God ourselves, that we chose, that our ancestors, Adam and Eve, chose this course for all of us, and we are all now broken. We did, in fact, die. God made us in his image. He is Father. He is Son. He is Holy Spirit. We are body and flesh. We are spirit. And we are heart and soul. We have a mind. We have a heart. We have a body. We are three in one, even as he is three in one. Except now we're not three in one. Now we're two in one. Because... The soul has died. Death did happen. And now humankind goes down an incredibly ugly path. As we are soulless, and even in today's modern English, that's a harsh thing to say about someone, isn't it? That they're soulless. Oh, that guy is soulless. What does that mean? That means that he's the kind of person who makes heartless choices, that he's despicable, that he's self-centered, that he's selfish. He doesn't care anything about other people. He doesn't care anything for God. He doesn't think about when anything outside of himself, he's self-centered. He is God. And that's what we mean when we say somebody is soulless. And that is what we all became. When we ate the tree that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we became soulless. How does the New Testament address this really amazing issue? Look at what Paul says in Galatians. And Paul is dealing with people who have given up on, they've accepted Christ, and now they've given up on Christ, or at least in Paul's definition, that's what they're doing, because they were saved by faith, and now they want to become saved by works, by the works of the law. And Paul identifies that issue as this issue that we're talking about. He says here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants, two agreements. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, and she is Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. What is Paul getting at here? 
When we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we became like gods. We made the choice ourselves. When Moses goes to Mount Sinai in Arabia, what is he given there? He is given the law. What does the law do? It tells us what is good and what is evil. Doesn't that sound familiar? And that's what Paul is saying the law is. Now remember that we can't say that the, not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in itself an evil or a despicable thing. It has a purpose. God created it and we believe he is a good God. So why would he do that? He has, made, he has made this tree for a purpose, but that purpose wasn't that man would eat from it. That purpose was not that man would eat this tree and gain the knowledge of good and evil and therefore make his own decisions. And so God, according to what Paul is telling us here in Galatians, is that he's giving us the fruit of this tree, he's giving us the Ten Commandments, he's giving us what Paul calls the law, not saying that the law is an evil thing, no, but saying that the law will not lead to life. The law leads to death, even as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil led to death. It killed Adam and Eve's souls. It usurped, they usurped the position of God. They became their own judges and cast out God from their lives. It looks like, from the outside, reading in Genesis, God cast them out of the garden. But the truth is harsher. The truth is they cast God out. They chose to go down this path, knowing where this path would go. And you and I make choices every day concerning good and evil. And some days we choose good, and some days we choose evil, and on neither of those days do we end up finding life. How do we get to life? Paul says here in Galatians chapter 4 that there is also a free woman, Sarah, who has the child of promise, and she corresponds to the Jerusalem that is above. Who is this child of promise? Ultimately, we know him as Jesus Christ. And if we go and look at John chapter 6, we see Jesus making some really interesting statements. In fact, he's making some really hard statements. He begins the day here in John chapter 6 by feeding the 5,000. Then the next evening comes and he's walking on water. And then the next day, here still in John chapter 6, a very long chapter, here he is teaching the crowd. They catch up to him. They would like to be fed again. They got fed the day before by Jesus, who provided that miraculous uh, bread reproducing thing where five loaves became enough to feed 5,000, two fishes became enough to feed 5,000 men, never mind women and children. So there's truckloads of bread and fish. This is a great miracle. And they're like, well, we'd like to have some more of that. But he, he says to them, do not work for the food that perishes, in verse 27, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So he's saying, hey, I'm going to give you food that leads to life. Cool. I'd like some of that. 
And so they ask him. You see, they're still stuck on the wrong tree. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now that's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil question. People want to know what they're supposed to do. All religions all over the world are trying to answer this question. What am I supposed to do? All right, I believe there is a God. What am I supposed to do about it? And the Hindus have one answer and the Buddhists have another answer and uh, Muslims have another answer and Christians have another answer. And all of the things that we're asked to do in order to earn salvation, in order to do the right thing, in order to eat good, as it were, these things don't lead to life, ever. That's what Paul's saying in Galatians. He says, that's, a, that's slavery, man. Now you're stuck over there. You're trying to obey the laws of good and evil, and you're stuck under this system that will never lead you to life. No matter how good you try to be, you can't get there. You can't be good enough. For the Muslim, he's got to pray five times a day. But then he prays five times a day and he says, well, I've got to do something else. I, I, I've got problems in my life. I'm facing all these horrific situations. Maybe I need to go on a pilgrimage to Mecca. Maybe I need to give money to the poor. The Buddhist and his eightfold path. Only eight folds doesn't seem to be enough to get him there. And so he's walking down the path. He's trying to live a better life. He's trying to not sin. He's trying to do his duty. And where is the promise that says, well, now you've done enough. Now you've reached salvation. Now you've reached what you were trying to attain. Man-made religion never seems to get you there. And what about Christianity? Do you understand Christianity to be telling you that if you live by this moral code, you will attain something? Because that's not the promise that Jesus comes and gives. And certainly that's not what Paul was talking about in Galatians. So many Christians today are no different than every other religion that's out there. They're, tr they're all eating off of the wrong darn tree. They're eating off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're saying, look, guys, everybody, this thing over here is evil. Jews, Muslims, don't eat that pork. Don't drink that alcohol. This is the good thing. Do give to the poor. Do love your neighbor. Do good to others. Don't steal. Don't kill. And as we try to go down that path and we try to do all those things, how good do we have to be? And the answer is, you got to do more. It's like asking a Baptist if he's prayed enough today. Have you prayed enough today? Who's going to say yes to that question? No, I haven't prayed enough. I need to pray more. And why? Because you can't do enough. That tree never leads to life. And so Jesus answers them in verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Really? Okay, let's be honest here. Is that not the least satisfying answer in all of Scripture? They're asking what to do. 
And now I want a nice, simple answer. Should I pray five times a day? Should I give money to the poor? Should I just stop drinking alcohol? Should I just not eat pork? Should I get a tattoo? I don't know. Give me something to do. Give me a list of rules and regulations. I'll just follow those Ten Commandments and I'll be fine, right? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Oof. How can I get my head around that? What does this mean? Well, the crowds didn't really understand either. And as Jesus goes on in the conversation with them, and they're saying, you know, how about providing us the bread? The bread sounded better. We, we, we kind of like the bread that you were making. How about some more loaves and fishes action? That sounds good. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, 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 no. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, hey, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Okay, now wait a minute. Hang on. I happen to know that there are people who love Jesus who get hungry. So what's he talking about? And these guys, these people in the crowd, they don't know what on earth he's talking about. He says he's come down from heaven. Okay. You and I understand that because we got to read the earlier chapter where Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary. We know the Holy Spirit's got something to do with this. God is his Father. He's come down from heaven to tell us the truth, but we can't quite figure out what that truth is. What does it mean? He says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, and believes in him, should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. You know, death is the worst injustice. You and I can sit in a room and talk about death in esoteric language, in figurative language, and we can philosophize about it. But when someone we know dies, it's wrong. It's just flat out wrong. We feel the injustice of death. That guy didn't deserve to die. Even when they live a long time. Oh, they're 80, 90, 100 years old, and they die, and you just feel the weight. Is that all there is? That can't be all there is. Many a great atheist has changed his mind when facing his own mortality. Johannes Brahms, the great composer of the 19th century, was an atheist until he got a little older and he got sick and he realized, hang on, this is wrong. There's got to be more than just this life. We feel it in our hearts. In our dead souls, we know there's supposed to be something else going on here. And so Jesus promises, hey, I'll raise you up on the last day. Okay, that sounds good. Eternal life? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what we're made for. That's the way it's supposed to work out. That's the way it's supposed to happen. We feel the rightness of this. So he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. 
And the Jews are like, oh, no, 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 no. This, this doesn't make any sense. And they start grumbling among themselves. And then he says it. I am the bread of life. Your father, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews are then saying, oh, no, 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 no. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is to drink, true drink. And now they start walking away. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus comes back and he says, he gives us a little help right here. Watch this. In verse 63, he says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay, wait a minute. He's not talking about cannibalism. He's not talking about let's all gather around and rip a hunk of Jesus off and start chomping on him. That's gross. That's sick. And how could that possibly be helpful? No, no, no. Whoever eats of this bread, bread, the, his flesh that he's giving to for the life of the world, what does this sound like? This sounds like a miracle. Do you remember what happened to the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden? After God cast them out, he placed an angel at the entrance to the garden. And the angel had a big flaming sword. It looked in all directions. So we couldn't go back to the garden because God cast us out so that we couldn't go back and eat from the tree of life and live forever in our broken, sinful, dead state. But now what has he done? Now he's lifted that tree out of the garden and he's placed him smack dab in the middle of first century Palestine and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the tree of life. How do we eat of that tree? Jesus says, you eat of my flesh, you drink of my blood when you believe on him who sent me. And you believe on him who has been sent, right? So Jesus is the one who's been sent from heaven. And when we believe in him, then we can have life. Then he will raise us up on the last day. Then we live forever as we were intended to do. Death is taken out of the equation. It is defeated forever. So how do we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, we judge. You you did wrong. You, you did right. I will decide to do this. I will decide not to do that. If I am in charge and I am the judge, then that leads to death. The death of our relationships with each other. The death of my soul. When I make decisions based on my belief in Jesus, 
then it's different. Then there comes life. Jesus says, the thief, he comes to kill and steal and destroy. I have come that they may have, what? Yes, life and life abundantly. He gives us life. And we have that life when we make decisions, when we do things, when we give ourselves completely to him and let him make the decisions. And so instead of judging others, we forgive others. Instead of deciding for myself what to do, I ask God what to do. I let him be on the throne of my life. I make decisions based on his word that he's given to us, the Bible. I make decisions based on what I hear the Spirit of God saying in my own heart. Because now I am alive in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus, perfect, coming down from heaven, the creator of the world, rips the tree of life out of the garden and miraculously places it back down on earth where we can get a hold of it. We need to eat of that tree always. It's always available to us. When we, when we love God, when we commit our ways to him and allow him to be on the throne of our lives, when by belief in Jesus, not as a historical figure who lived 2,000 years ago, but as an actual person who's here with us now in the form of the Holy Spirit, when we believe in Jesus, when we believe in his love, in his kindness, in his forgiveness, then we can forgive ourselves. Then we can forgive each other. And when we do that, there's life. Life for ourselves, life for our relationships, life for our communities. So make decisions today, not based on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what you decide is right and wrong, but by your belief that Jesus is who he said he was and who he in fact still is today, the tree of life who's offering life to everyone who asks for it. Amen. This has been Meditations from Middle Earth. May God be your ever-present teacher and richly bless you on your journey.